following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Jurassic Park, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Clifford, Muppet Babies, Jim Henson's Dinosaurs, Adventures in Dinosaur City, Tron, Bicentennial Man, The Simpsons, The Iron Giant, Pinocchio, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, The Land Before Time, and Flowers for Algernon. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or animated cartoon dinosaurs that traveled through time and learned how to speak English. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. And this week I am talking to Joanne, host of the Turtle Stack podcast, which you should definitely check out. Welcome, Joanne. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on your show. I'm very excited to have you. Why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're going to be talking about today on Robots vs. Dinosaurs? So we are going to be talking about the 1993 animated film, We're Back. <laughs> we're, we're Back, a dinosaur's story. This, is, this movie is directed by Phil Nibelink and written by John Patrick Stanley. It stars a lot of really big names like John Goodman and Yeardley Smith and uh, Rhea Perlman. Jay Leno, <laughs> Walter Cronkite, a lot of like really cool big names. Joanne, what made you decide to pick this movie to talk about today? Um, well, that's a that's a good question. It's it's a movie from my childhood. Um, mm. I am a, a little bit older, not super old. I'm 35. All right, let's let's okay. be honest. Um, so it it is a movie that I watched when I was younger, and it was one of the ones that I watched over and over and over again for probably two or three months straight because that was the sort of kid I was you know one movie it was my favorite movie forever until my parents finally would get me to watch another movie and we're back was one of those um so when when you mentioned like hey what dinosaur movies do you like it's kind of one of those things where I was like I almost entirely forgot about this movie and the chance to like rewatch it and remember what it was like to be a little kid who loved the movie. Um, Mm. I just thought it would be a really fun adventure. I am so glad that you picked this movie. I watched it for the first time the other night uh, to prepare for this. And I immediately regretted that I didn't get to see this when I was a kid because I, I really felt like, wow, I wish that I had like the past couple of decades to have fond memories of this movie. Like, I wish it was a movie that I grew up with. And I regret that I I can't go back in time and make that true. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Your childhood was basically a wash because you missed it. Um, But hopefully you had other fond memories of of something um, to to help you through. But yeah, it's it's a really fun dinosaur movie. Yeah, and it's absolutely wild that I missed it because I was never more into dinosaurs than in 1993. My favorite movie of all time literally appears in this movie as a marquee, um, which is Jurassic Park, uh, which came out the same year. And I had an absolute obsession with dinosaurs. I don't know how I passed by this movie on like the VHS shelf in Blockbuster without convincing my parents to rent it at least once. It's crazy to me. Right. Yeah. Well, I think because it wasn't a Disney movie, 
I think that it probably flew under quite a few people's radars because it wasn't quite as like marketed as some other things. And I wonder too if like because they're like the big round cartoony dinosaurs on the covers, if there might have been some people in that generation that thought it was you know, like a baby movie or that one's like for little kid dinosaurs and I want the cool, scary dinosaurs or, you know, I, I could see where there's maybe some, you kind of hit that age where it's like, I'm too old for that type of dinosaur anymore. That's a good point. You know, it's absolutely wild. I don't know why I thought this, but, but when you mentioned this movie, my brain filled in this gap of like, oh yeah, that's the movie that is like the Roger Rabbit with dinosaurs. It's like cartoon dinosaurs, but in the real world. And it is not that at all. I don't know where I got that notion. Um, is there, do, can you can you think of a movie where that is actually true? Like, is that a thing? Or am I just completely misremembering everything I ever learned about this movie? That's, I mean, that's definitely not this movie. Um, yeah, not at all. And I'm glad it's not, actually. I, I can't remember anything with cartoon dinosaurs in a real setting. I remember a scene where the Muppet Babies, like, go back and it's, like, realistic black and white dinosaurs oh. behind Muppet Babies. Oh, that's And cool. I remember the Dinosaurs TV show, which was like just super uncanny valley dinosaur humans. Mm. Um, there, There is a movie called Adventures in Dinosaur City where there it's like this group of kids that are obsessed with the dinosaur cartoon and they somehow like their parents are scientists and they build a machine that somehow zaps them like Tron from the real world into the cartoon world. Uh, but when they get to the cartoon world, it's actually no longer a cartoon world. It's all puppets. So I get that okay. might be like in a roundabout way what I was confusing this with in my mind. Yeah. Um, I, I will say unequivocally, We're Back is a much better movie than Adventures in Dinosaur City. Oh, perfect. <laughs> much, much better movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually impressed with how well it held up. Um, mm. I, like I said, I watched the movie a lot when I was a kid when it when it first came out. And then I kind of forgot about it for the last, you know, 25 five-ish years um and like re-watching it I was like no this is like a good movie like this is the sort of movie that if your kid wants to watch it you're not like oh god I have to watch we're back it's like no as an as an adult I could completely enjoy watching it it was still fun yeah it was very entertaining I was really impressed with the technical aspects of the of the animation Mm -hmm. uh like there's just things where like like there's one part where the villain has a curtain in front of him and he pushes it aside and and it's it's a small moment but it's just like the animate the when you think about like how you would physically animate that it's really really impressive it must have taken a lot of work yeah you said that these dinosaurs the way that they're depicted might have might have churned certain audiences off or might have you know made given given people a, a different impression of what this movie would be um when you think of a dinosaur what do you what do you think of like when you close your eyes and picture a dinosaur is it something from this movie or is it a more realistic looking uh, image so when i when i close my eyes and picture a dinosaur the first thing that i still picture is jurassic park dinosaurs like mm-hmm. i feel like that was the point in my life when i most developed um what i thought of as dinosaurs Um, but then usually I kind of push past that and I, I picture more of like the, um, 
the sketches that you'll see of like the the dinosaurs with feathers and things like that. So I, I do tend to picture more realistic looking dinosaurs or um, almost like concept art sketches of what we think dinosaurs could be. I think that's really cool. I wonder I wonder if kids nowadays picture like dinosaurs with feathers when they when they think about them or when they draw them. I wonder if that's more of a common thing now. I I am not a kid nowadays, so I couldn't mm. say for sure. Um I I think we're still working on it cuz like when I go to a toy store and I look at the dinosaur toys, they're still usually very reptilian. True. Um, so I think that until, you know, you look at coloring books and things like that, and I think we're, we're edging the feathers in and we're edging different like body shapes and things like that. But I, I think default, they'd still usually picture reptilian and maybe there's a couple specific dinosaurs. Like maybe we've gotten to the point where now like raptors, they're like, okay, a raptor has feathers. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But I would think most dinosaurs, you know, just like for all we know, like Triceratops could have had spots like a cow has and like, but you don't picture that because that's not how we usually depict them. And there's no way of really knowing one way or the other, Um, you know, but sometimes we give them stripes and stuff like that. So that's true. And they could have had all sorts of like cartilaginous appendages that are like Mm -hmm. just that deteriorate and don't persist next to the fossils. Um, that we have no idea, like, you know, what other features they might have had, um, which is also very cool to think about, especially for artists. I love when artists go crazy with dinosaur depictions. Yeah. If if we were looking at human skulls from millions of years ago, we wouldn't know if they had noses or ears, right? Like, that's just not shown. So, yeah, there's there's so much unknown. Um, So, Joanne, in your own words, what is a dinosaur? You know, you told me you were going to ask this question and I'm still like, I don't really know what a dinosaur is, but, um, I would, I would basically say any living creature from that time period. And I, I believe it was the Meso- Mesozoic time period. I know it wasn't the Jurassic cause I know mm. the movie is picked the wrong name because it sounded cooler. Um, yeah. And most of these dinosaurs wouldn't exist together either. Yeah. So to to me, it's very much based on the, the time era that they were alive in. Um, and if it's, you know, a little creature, a big creature like that, that doesn't matter so much to me as much as when they were alive and thriving. Awesome. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. What is a robot? What is a robot? Yeah. Okay. That's a good question too. So a robot would be anything that's not bio, you know, so Mm -hmm. metal, plastic, uh, fiber, that sort of stuff that is capable of moving on its own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm satisfied with that. (laughs) Awesome. I only, I asked that uh, in this episode because there is a moment where um, somebody literally says the line, no, Sasha, they're not dinosaurs. They're robots. And I thought, how perfect for, for the discussion we're going to have yes. on the podcast. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I don't know if there's supposed to be a difference between like animatronics and robots. And mm. it's like, I, I think they're the same. Or 
yeah, you know, probably all animatronics are robots, but not all robots are animatronics sort of a thing. So, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it because I would say, I would, I would agree that like a robot is, um, first and foremost, non-biological. Uh, yeah. there is like a subcategory of, of robot, which I would say like cyborg is partly biological. Um, but, but a, like ro- a, a proper robot, uh, is fully mechanical, fully made of inorganic material, um, and follows some sort of programming because follows some sort of like pre, uh, programmed, um, uh, set of behaviors or actions. And so right. like an animatronic is definitely a robot, but, but a robot is not necessarily an animatronic. Yeah. Cause they make like robotic medical devices and things like that, that I wouldn't say are animatronic. Um, yeah. See, but cyborg, I've always believed that a cyborg is a human or a, a living creature that has had robotic and mechanical enhancements to the point that they are like, there, there's probably a percentage cutoff, right? Like having like a, 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 replacement hand might not make you a cyborg but if like half your body is robotic then you're a cyborg but to me cyborg always started as living and moved into the realm of mechanical where an android an android is a mechanical thing that develops human levels of intelligence and um like feeling and sentience and things like that I totally agree with you. However, have you seen the movie Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams? I haven't. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> spoiler for that movie, he he starts as a robot, but there is like a scientist that is creating organs that he like like are semi-organic, I think, and he's and he slowly starts to replace his parts with these organs because he wants to become human. Um, so it's like, I definitely agree with the way you described, like a cyborg starts out as an organic thing and becomes more robotic, but it's just interesting that like Bicentennial Man has this one example of the complete opposite. And it's a really, really fascinating exploration of that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's like the, um, first of all, it's hard to, for me to believe that anything, like a robot could actually be improved by actual human parts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, well, why would you do that? Um, but that's like, if you own a car and you replace the engine and then you replace the tires and then you replace the interior and then you replace the, the, the case of the car. And over five years, you've replaced every single part that was your car. Mm. Is it the same car? Yeah. We're talking about the ship of Theseus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like same same thing with if you start with a robot and you replace the innards and then you replace like the exterior and you, you replace all these parts until eventually you have a man. It's like, well, now you've just created a Frankenstein that you are using temporary parts to begin with. Like where it, it's weird, like where you kind of draw that line. Yeah. 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 I wonder, I, I wonder like what is the point where cyborg is the appropriate term for something because yeah well we are we have reached uh the section of the podcast that i like to call lose big three um there's lose big three there's gonna be i'm gonna like splice in some i have theme music that my friend uh just improvised and sang so i'm gonna splice that in i've got three big questions when i that i had when i was watching this movie that i think are gonna help us open up a discussion about the whole movie 
Okay. Uh, so are you ready for Lou's Big Three? I hope so. Lou's Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lou's Big Three. All right. Number one, do you think this movie or the story was inspired by Flowers for Algernon? Oh man, it's been a really long time since I've, I don't think I even read Flowers for Algernon because it was a book first, but I think I saw the play at one point. Oh, I didn't know there was um, a play. Can can I, can I get a refresher on the basics of what Flowers for Algernon, I, I mostly remember there was a mouse and I was very sad at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it probably would have been a more fair question if I had asked first, if you're familiar with Flowers for Algernon, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a sh- I guess, short story novella um, by Daniel Keyes. It was written in 1958. And it's about a, um, it's about a, like a janitor that works in a lab. And he is, I, I want to say, I, I'm really not sure like what the right term is, or if it was even accurate when it was written, but he's mentally challenged. He's mentally disabled. And, uh, he gets, he becomes friends with this mouse named Algernon and the lab is doing, doing a, an experiment to increase the brain function of Algernon, um, to increase its intelligence and have it solve mazes. And they kind of, uh, they kind of mistreat this janitor, the scientists in the lab kind of mistreat this janitor and they, they have him, uh, challenge the mouse until the mouse is smart enough to like win the mazes every time. And then at some point they start putting um, this, the janitor character through the same treatment. And so the book is written from his perspective where it's like journal entries. And the early ones are very kind of basic vocabulary. And he's just kind of talking about his, his experiences like with this mouse and how it always beats him at this maze. Um, and then gradually each chapter uh, once he starts getting the treatment, become more complex in in language, more advanced in thought, um, and then sadly, spoiler for for the story, towards the end, he start, his brain starts to deteriorate. The, the the treatment doesn't stay, and his brain starts to deteriorate. So the later chapters are very very tragic because he knows that he's losing his intelligence mm-hmm. and that he's reverting back to to his his original point. Yeah, that that is interesting. And I, I would not have put these two things together, like, innately. But mm. you, there, there definitely are parallels. Um, because, yeah, in, in the movie, the dinosaurs are given the opportunity to become highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Well, they're kind of forced to become highly intelligent. They don't have much say there because they're, you know rampaging like dinosaurs and they're given a food that that makes them smart yeah um but i did find it interesting that in the beginning of the movie the dinosaurs are given a choice they're shown kids wishes and they're told do you want to go and help these kids and i'm like that's interesting to me because that's that's an important step that i feel like a lot of movies would overlook Mm -hmm. Um, and then they, they do, and they're enjoying, you know, being with a couple specific kids. And then, yeah, it reaches a point where they have to choose whether or not they are going to give up that intelligence to help their friends. And I think that there are similar emotions there as far as it, it, 
it's frustrating when you know you could do something or you used to be able to do something and you can't do it anymore. Um, but I, yeah. I feel like the fact that it is a choice makes it significantly different. Like yeah. in, in Flowers for Algernon, the janitor doesn't, you know, it's not like, well, the mouse is degrading. Do you want to degrade with it? It's, you know, we didn't know enough about this and now this is what you have to go through because you had this moment. Um, yeah, it's, so. it's incredibly tragic once once Rex, like, understands what's going to happen to him when, um, because, yes. you know, he gets, he eats the brain grain, brain grain at the beginning is what makes him smart, but then brain drain later on uh, is what is what turns him back into like his instinct animal uh, t-rex form and when he understands like that that's going to happen to him but he again like choice he makes the choice to do that for this kid um it's really it's it's heartbreaking yeah yeah it's it's heartbreaking and it's also you know shortly after um the kids don't know what happened and yeah. they they have a friend that's a clown. You know, it, I feel like as a listener, I'd be like, is this a happy movie or a sad movie? Because this is what? all over the place. Um, but the clown basically says, like, you don't want to see your friends like this. Yep. Um, and I think that that's also kind of like a powerful thing is like, you know, I'm sure most people have had, you know, relatives who have gotten sick or something like that. And it's kind of like that you you want to remember them as happy, healthy you know, friendly, joyful. And, and sometimes it's hard to see people or friends or pets or whatever in a, in a deteriorated state. Um, and like there too, right? Like Rex and the others, I don't think would have wanted the kids to see them as monsters. They wanted the kids to see them as friendly and smart and exciting. And this thing from their imagination that came to life and was their friend and yeah, the knowledge that not only am I going to be a monster, but that the the people that I care about are going to know me as a monster now, like that's almost harder, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This movie reminded me of the Iron Giant in a lot of ways. Have yes. you seen that movie? I can see that. Yeah. Because like he was built for war. Um, you know, he clearly was built and equipped with all of these weapons, like just like a T-Rex evolved with all, with like teeth and claws and and he reached, he, he met somebody, he met a child that just saw him as a friend or saw him as somebody in need of something, somebody that was struggling um, and needed help. And they formed a friendship. But then at some point, circumstances forced him to revert back to that basic uh, instinctual level and, and go on the attack. And, and, you know, and it's just, it's very, it's very tragic. This movie is, is hiding, I think, a really deep, strong message in its silly uh package of like dinosaurs stomping through the macy's day parade and and that kind of thing and it's really fun but like it's also hiding a i think what i think is a really good message yeah i i completely agree and i think that's you know one of the reasons i was saying earlier that i think it's a movie that you can enjoy as an adult you can watch it with your kid and and genuinely enjoy it because it it does give you things to think about and things to discuss and it, it gives kids the credit they deserve. Like mm-hmm. kids are smart. They can follow a plot. They can understand emotions. They can understand, you know, friendship and loss and things like that. So um, I think this movie did a really good job of, 
exploring that and and giving us something interesting to look at. Totally. It also has a, a really some really really scary moments, and I, I like what you said about how it gives kids credit. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't just uh, treat them as like unintelligent little things. Like it's it it you know they are young, they are literally small adults with developing yeah. brains, and it gives them that credit. Um, I kind of missed like in in I don't I well you know I don't watch a lot of kids movies these days, so I don't know if this mm-hmm. is actually missing from them. But like movies from this era had things in them that were super terrifying and scary and disturbing on a psychological level, Um, which leads me to lose big three question number two. What is more nightmarish to you Uh, or what would be more nightmarish getting churned into a donkey on that crazy island in Pinocchio or getting churned into a circus monkey by Professor uh, Professor Screw Eyes? that's that that's a hard question um Mm -hmm. so i would my my gut says the donkey is scarier um partially because the donkeys seem like they are living in a tormented reality you know what i mean like they're they're put in crates like the donkeys seem sad right like they they're they're lost and they still have like a level of human intelligence where it's like I want to get out and I'm scared and I'm going to be hurt. Like, so I feel like they just have a harder life. Um, We're like getting turned into the monkeys. Like they kind of seemed okay as monkeys. Like they, you know what I mean? Like they were pulling off each other's hats and like, it seems awful, but it seems like the sort of awful that I wouldn't know I was experiencing, which Mm -hmm. takes away some of the tension. And at least as like a monkey, you can possibly bring people joy, right? Like they, so they have the whole circus thing and it's like, it's a, it's a dark circus where people go to be scared and like, but that's a thing that people do, right? Like we love haunted totally. houses. We, we love watching horror movies. Like we like watching dinosaurs. Like I, people, yeah. I, sleep no more. I don't know if you know about sleep no more, but it's like no. this whole art installation that's, that's designed around scaring the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that is a thing that we desire. So at least if you are turned into a sideshow act at Professor Screw Eyes Circus, like you are providing a service and it might not be a service that I would enjoy providing for people regularly, but at, at least I'm, I'm doing something and I'm interacting with something where the donkeys, like they just seemed like they were being shipped out to be like work mules and probably abused by mean farmers. Like they did not seem like they were going to have a happy life. So um, I would prefer not to be turned into any animal if at all <laughs> possible, but if I had to, I guess I will take circus shine sideshow act. I 100% agree with you for all of the reasons that you said it's, it's closer. Uh, also like just simply that it's closer to, on the evolutionary uh, timeline to us. And like, you could still like, we're used to having hands and, and, and things like that. So like being a donkey, sure. like that's a whole entire new uh, form of locomotion. You have to learn and, and become comfortable with. Um, let me ask you an alternative question. If you could be turned into a dinosaur or like, okay, if you had to be turned into a dinosaur, but you get to choose which dinosaur, what dinosaur would you choose? Ankylosaurus, hands down. Nice. Yes. I want a giant tail with a giant mace at the end that I can just whack into things that are in my way. That sounds 
like an ideal life for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. All right. Lou's big three, number three. Um, we meet this character early on in the movie named Dr. New Eyes, and he's voiced by Walter Cronkite. And my big question is, is Dr. New Eyes God? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Man, these are <laughs> these are big questions, aren't they? Okay. So, um I would say there's two two main approaches that you can take to this question. One is as a believer in a specific religion and one is as God as an as a as a concept in general. Um and I would say any existing religion no, he is he is not God. Okay. Um but in the, in the concept of like a god or a a deity i would lean towards yes and in a way like all humans kind of are at a certain point like when you when you think of how the modern day human affects the world like there are species that have gone extinct because of us. There are species that should have gone extinct that thrive because of us. Mm. Um, we, we have changed the course of our planet. Um, and there are individuals in history who have made discoveries or made certain choices that have completely altered the way our reality is because of what one or a small handful of individuals has done. So if you consider a God to be somebody that can change the progress of the world or like change the world with a single action, then to that result, I would say he is God or a God. Okay. It's like that Arthur C. Clarke quote, um, any, any advanced technology, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes. Yeah, that I would that what I would say absolutely applies to this movie. Like that is what this movie is. Um yeah, cuz it didn't it didn't register to me at first that um that he he was literally using time travel. Like I was mm-hmm. wondering like what is the like how how does he get uh at first I thought like he was literally on another planet where there just are dinosaurs, but then it took me a while to realize like no, he actually went back through time and pluck these dinosaurs out of the timeline to bring them into the, what do they call it? The, the middle future. Yeah. I think middle future was the word that they used. Yeah. And not only that, but he's actually from the far future because there's a line early in the movie where he says, we're like humans and extraterrestrials or whatever he says. Like he implies that there's other planets that we have explored. And he even has like a little alien sidekick friend that never really gets like acknowledged that he just, has a friend alien yeah Um, who's kind of dressed like luke skywalker yeah yeah i'll give you that (laughs) so yeah he's he's like from the far far future goes into the far far past to get dinosaurs and bring them to the middle future which is current day Mm -hmm. because this is when the kids want to see the dinosaurs the most yes and it is the current day it is 1993 they they confirmed that in the movie yeah, because like you said, you have you have your Jurassic Park um, advertisements in there, which I I completely mm-hmm. missed. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's so, a cool cool little touch because I think um, Steven Spielberg was the executive producer for this. Oh, cool! 
I did not know that. I, I'll be honest. I don't pay a ton of attention to like actors and producers and things like that. I usually just enjoy a piece of media for what it is. Um, I, I will say I was really surprised to see John Goodman as a voice. I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting this voice to come out here. Mm-hmm. Here we are. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that is that is a neat little piece of trivia nod. And I like when universes connect like that. Yeah. Were there were there any other voices that you um, recognized or that sounded familiar when you were watching it? So, so that's one of those things where there were definitely voices that I recognized. And afterwards, when I read the list, there were names that I knew. But John Goodman is one of the only ones that I actually know his name and compare it to his face and voice. There's probably about five actors in all of Hollywood that I can do that with. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he was he was the only one that like I immediately knew who he was, where everybody else I was like, I recognize this voice and I know once my friend says it's so and so, they did this, I'd be like, Oh yeah, they were also this person. But yeah, he was the only one I plucked out. Yeah, I um I as soon as I heard uh Cecilia Nuthatch start talking, I was like, wait, that's Lisa Simpson. <laughs> yeah. See, like now that you say that, I'm like, that's why her voice was so familiar. Mm-hmm. Um but Yep. Nope. Didn't, didn't actually put it together. (laughs) Um, and then I will say like when I, when the credits was playing, uh, when the opening credits were playing and it said Martin short was in the movie. Um, I was, I was like listening, I was paying attention for like, when is Martin short going to show up? And I, I didn't even realize that he was the clown until like much later on. I think I, I think I actually like looked it up and I was like, Oh wait, that's Martin short. Um, Uh and it's kind of like, that's kind of a perfect character for Martin short to be doing the voice of, because he's just like almost doesn't the, the clown character almost doesn't belong in this movie, um, right? But he really like he ends up being a very sweet character and like a, has a really really great moment at the end um, where it kind of feel it kind of feels like they did the thing with like with Robin Williams and Aladdin where they kind of just let Martin Short go crazy and then they just animated everything he does based on like what he was improvising. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's kind of what it felt like with all of that manic energy and random references to things. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. It felt, it felt more improv. It felt like it was coming from an actual character or an actor that really knew how to embody the character as opposed to a pre-written script that you're trying to bring to life. Like it, it felt very organic. Um, and I think growing up was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Honestly, of like I, I loved it. When he when he stands up to prof, uh, yeah. Professor Scruggs, yeah, yeah, it's great. Let's talk about the main character of this movie, Louis, who I was actually kind of sad to find out. Like I don't I don't recognize any other uh, credits that this 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 kid has um, or any other work that he's done. Like I thought it, it was such a good voice and I thought I recognized him from other things because like I, I really thought it was like, oh, this must be somebody famous. But it actually like it takes a lot of scrolling on the IMDb page to even find this actor's name. I'm actually looking at it right now and it's not immediately there. I'd have to like I'd have to like scroll through to find it again. Um, but are you are you at all familiar with like this voice actor or no. um, Joey no. Shea is his name? Yeah, no, the name the name doesn't sound familiar. I do agree. Like he he did an awesome job and like it had a familiar sound and maybe that's cuz he was just doing kind of a typical 
like a Brooklyn accent, I think it was. So maybe it was just the accent was familiar and therefore the voice felt familiar. Such um, a good accent. Yeah. Yeah. He did, he did an awesome job and there was, you know, a range of, he had to be attitude. He had to be sensitive. Like there, there was a lot that that character needed to pull off that he did a great job on. So I'm, I am kind of surprised that he didn't end up doing more. As a kid watching this, did you identify with Louis? Or like, did you want to be like Louis or like, what, what is, uh, is there, or is there another character that you might like identify with in this movie? Um, who would I identify the most with? So I definitely did not identify with Louis. Like between the two kids, I was more of a Cecile. I was very like sheltered and good. And I wanted to make my parents happy. Like I, I was more that, um, I mean, a part of me identifies with Oog. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. I'm kind of just there and I just want to eat. Like <laughs> Oog, Oog had very simple needs and like that was enough to enough to make him happy. Can we talk um, real quick about how crazy it is that he eats hot dogs though? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, why? I don't, why does he eat hot dogs? I don't know. It's it's a it's a choice. Um my guess is honestly that's the food that Professor New Eyes could get that was like the cheapest in bulk, but still giving them nutrients. Okay. And like, you know, even now we we have veggie dogs. So if he's from yeah. the far, far future, the idea that like to make a hot dog tube that has all of the nutrients that a dinosaur would need on like a cheap budget, like it it probably just makes sense. Also I mean, kids like hot dogs. The other choice would have been have them eat mac and cheese, but that would have been messy. Like That's true. For context, Woog is a triceratops, which like this is why it's crazy to me that he craves hot dogs because he's an herbivore. But I yeah. like this this theory that you're implying that um, that doctor – is it doctor or captain? Is, I think it's Captain New Eyes, uh, but the, the Walter Cronkite character, the, the character that I, that I see as like God um, in this <laughs> – this universe uh it makes sense that in the future they have you know like um what are those impossible maybe they have like impossible hot dogs that are actually have no meat in them but just nutrition yeah yeah i think so or you know even like i mean he obviously made the brain grain or brain Mm -hmm. brain grain or gain grain brain grain yeah with an r so like he was obviously capable of making the cereal that has a certain effect um so yeah the idea that he just developed hot dog that yeah has all of the required nutrients and wherever those nutrients had to come from like he he just kind of knows how to make it healthy that any because they're all eating the same hot dogs too like that's the other thing it can't be all veggie because rex is sitting there eating the same hot dogs um so what whatever it is has to just be almost like a soylent or a um tofu or a you know some sort of a food supplement that is uh safe safe for all in an ideal world interesting interesting yeah Yeah. but you put it in a hot dog package because you know nobody's gonna argue with a hot dog yeah and that's and and like you said that's a thing kids love like yeah it's hard to find a kid that doesn't like hot dogs or have feelings about hot dogs one way or another yeah yeah, at least they didn't make them the dino-shaped chicken nuggets that kids love so much. So that would have been messed up. 
Oh man. So Louis, um, Louis is great. I think I do agree. Like one of the best things about him is that accent. Um, there's, I, I just wrote down like one of my favorite things that he says where there, he's talking about how he wants to run away and join the circus. And, uh, Rex asks him, asks him, what is the circus? And he says, what's the circus? It's the big top Webahead show business. <laughs> Oh man, I I I can't say that I identified with Louis, even though we have the same name uh, as a kid. But I like it's more like I this is who I wanted to be. Like I wanted to be um, a kid that like has a crazy adventure with dinosaurs and specifically has this accent. Yeah, <laughs> it's part of the reason I moved to New York. That's <laughs> was for the accent. Yeah. Yep just so I could gradually develop the accent, which I'm not doing a great job of. Well, you'll get there. I believe I'll in get you. There. You'll get, you just have a little more brain grain and <laughs> eventually. Um, yeah, no, I see. I don't know who I necessarily related to. First of all, it feels like it was so long ago that I was actually like a kid watching the movie. And I, I think I'm more like Louie was kind of a like, bad boy you know what I mean like he he was like kind of like tough and edgy and stuff like that so I think if anything it was kind of like a well he'd be fun to hang around but I really shouldn't because I don't want to get in trouble sort of thing yeah he uh he also has this line that implies a lot um but doesn't it never really gets explored where he's where he sees Cecilia crying and She's, you know, she's upset that her parents aren't there. And he says uh, something like, what about your parents? Do they beat you? And yeah. I thought that was such a, like, not crazy, but like such a, um, I think jarring. It, jarring. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to that thing of like, wow, they're really kind of treating kids like adults. Like, like they're, they're, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Like that they can hear a line like that and, and deal with it. it. To me, it's also the, the implication that in some ways physical abuse can be as traumatic as neglect. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's two very different things. Like I don't, I don't want to imply that one person's pain is the same or, or greater or lesser than another's, but you know, the, the idea that like, well, what do you, what do you mean? I'm, mean to my kid I don't I don't do anything with them and it's like that's that's the point like your kid needs your love and support and not not being around can be just as hard um and like it it is a valid thing to cry over (laughs) yeah you really see like the emptiness when when Cecilia is like kind of looking around that huge apartment and there's like there's like the computer and then there's like a photo of just her at like a family thing, but her family's not there. Um, and you just feel this emptiness that she has. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that, you know, all the money in the world, all the experiences, like I'm sure her parents sent her to specialty classes and she got to learn things and see things. But if you can't do it with your parents, like what's the point? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And there's also that parallel, right. Of Cecilia, or Cecile wants her parents around and Louis has parents that love him and dote on him and give him affection and it drives him nuts. And he wants to escape that. Um, 
And yeah, it's it's like it's not even a B plot. It's almost like a C plot. Like we don't acknowledge much about these kids' childhood yeah. aside from it drives both of them to want to run away to the circus. Um but yeah, it's it is an interesting um exploration of what what kids go through and what they need and what they want. Yeah, and I I think it's really important to see that uh, that emptiness with Cecilia early on because it helps me understand why she makes the decision she makes later on when Louis signs that contract with his blood to join Professor Screwrides' circus. And she just, without a word of acknowledgement, she just very, like, in a resigned way, just goes ahead and signs it as well. Yeah. Because she wants, she needs to be part of something. She needs, you know. Yeah, I think that's finally it. She found somebody that wants her around and she isn't willing to give that up because she's scared and it's you know she looks at it and she's like well he needs me and I need him so I guess if he's in I'm in sort of a thing um Mm -hmm. and even though she's the one that's saying no I don't want to do this we should we should turn back we should forget about it um Professor Screw Eyes grabs Louis's hand and more or less makes him sign the contract even though yeah, which I wonder about the legality of that. I mean, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, having having young children sign a contract without a parent guardian in and of itself is not going to go over well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's no way that contract is legally binding. Um, <laughs> but you know, magic. So magic. Yep. But yeah, Louis pretty much signs it out of his will, even though he's the one saying yeah, let's do it. And then Cecilia signs it of her own free will, even though she was the one that was saying all along, this is a bad idea. So, yeah. Let's, let's talk about professor screw eyes a little bit. Um, he is introduced by, by captain new eye. He tells him, uh, he tells when, when he's preparing the dinosaurs for their trip to the world, um, because they, they're answering the wishes that they hear on this wish radio and they want to go and fulfill these wishes for kids. He warns them that they're going to meet two important people. One is Dr. Bleeb, uh, voiced by um, celebrity chef Julia Child. And the other one is his brother, Professor Screw Eyes. Uh, and he just, you know, he tells them right away that this guy is, is bad news. Um, what, do you, what do you think of Professor Screw Eyes? Oh, I think, so as a child, I just found him terrifying. Right. Like he's, he's kind of spindly, uncanny valley. He's got ghosts and monsters and things like that around him. He's got the Ravens. Like he's, he's terrifying for all the reasons that a a Disney villain should be terrifying to a child. Um, As an adult, he is deeply sad. Yeah. Like this, this is an unwell person that, needs help and doesn't know how to ask for it and doesn't know how to get it and has made all the wrong choices to get to a point where he can receive help. Um, and honestly, the, the end of Professor Screw Eyes, where Professor New Eyes basically like takes away his circus and he's left alone and he, he makes a statement about, I don't like being alone. I only have my own thoughts and I'm scared. It's like... Mm. That is a troubling line. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, I wrote that one down. Um, when I am alone, when I have no one to scare, I get very frightened myself. Yes, like that's, I don't think as a kid, I realized how 
heavy of a line that was. It's just kind of like a, oh, well, you big bully, you only like scaring other people. How do you feel about it? But like, I, I feel, I feel very sad. And there was actually, so after that, he gets, I, I'm assuming this is a 100% spoiled podcast, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Totally. So after that, he gets eaten by crows. Um, yeah. Which again, like sometimes the deaths that they put in kids movies, I'm like, did we need to go this far with it? <laughs> but as an adult, I almost felt like a relief. I was like, well, at least he doesn't have to be scared anymore. And he's not like he, he was living such a tormented life that like it almost felt more like a relief than a punishment when when he's just ended. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's he's he's a weird he's a weird bad guy to um, to suss out. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a weird it's a weird like magical death too because a lot of times we get in kids movies like a falling death, um, yeah, and because I I think that because that's an easy way to depict like well you know what's gonna happen to this person but we don't need to show the actual yeah. like moment of impact uh, to really sell it um, because that's how you know uh, Simba's father dies that's how Gaston dies in Beauty and the Beast. Um, and actually, I think Gaston, they take it one step further and he gets impaled like on the fence that he falls on, which is grim. But uh, but this is like a very magical death where the, the crows kind of surround him and he looks like a scarecrow for a moment. He's just perfectly still, like his whole yeah. entire body is composed of crows. And then they fly away and there's nothing but his metal screw eye. And like a little bit of like this green mist comes out of it, um, which I don't know. I guess, I guess we're supposed to interpret like that's his soul. But then a, one little crow like comes hopping up and and like a birthday candle just blows it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. And I think as a kid, I thought that he like turned into the crows. Um, yeah. Which maybe that is what was intended. But as an adult, I assumed that it was just like a, a fast forward of them picking him apart like I don't I, I guess oh, I don't really know what happened but um yeah it is kind of like this weird magical which is kind of like a weird thing within the movie itself because they go kind of the scientific route with Professor New Eyes of you know he created the the brain grain and he is from the far future so he has time travel and like everything has some explanation of what is going on but then with Professor New Eyes, like, or Professor Screw Eyes, some of it just seems like flat out magic. Like mm-hmm. the, the contract has no scientific explanation. Like it's, so it's like, is, is this a magic world? Is this a science world? Like what? Here, well, here's something I just thought of just now. If they're, if they're brothers, they would have been born in the same time period. So why does Professor mm-hmm. Screw Eyes exist in 1993? I think there was a throwaway line early in where Professor New Eyes makes a comment about he he likes this time period because of like people are kind of in like an unsettled place. Ah. Um, like I I think the implication is that basically the future is too clean. Everybody gets along. We've developed peace. Everything's like happy and good forever. And Professor Screw Eyes feels uncomfortable or threatened there and has chosen to go back to 1993 but I'm, I'm not sure there was there was one line though early on that had some implications along those lines okay okay 
I um I I feel I've only seen this movie once. Maybe I like might feel different if I rewatch it, but I felt pretty bad for Professor Screw Eyes at the end. Yeah. Uh, like I, when they when the when the when the, the the flying the flying machine was flying away from him and they were like you know he, like hey do you want to come with us and change your ways and relinqu- relinquish your your bad past and decisions that you made and he kind of like doesn't say anything i kind of wish they had waited about 8 more seconds you know not make him like put him on the spot and make him make this decision yeah. right now like i wish that they had had more of a conversation with him because he comes to that realization very quickly where he's self-aware and he says, you know, when I'm alone, I have no one to scare. I'm very frightened. Um, yeah. I wonder if like if they have just waited, give him another 30 seconds even, uh, if he would have come with them. Yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, and that definitely goes back to your question of is Professor New Eyes God? Because like he's he's basically giving people the opportunity of salvation under certain terms. And do you do you accept this? Do you want to be a part of this? I will love and let you in. But if you reject like you're kind of SOL. Um, so like there is that interesting parallel to draw from this scene. But it's also Professor Screweyes did not change his mind because he wanted to redeem himself and become a better person. He changed his mind because he wanted to be able to scare people. Mm-hmm. And and for them to be like, do you want to change your ways and come with us? If his answer is, well, I want to come with you, but I don't want to change my ways. I just want you to bring me someplace else where I can continue doing this. Um then it's it's kind of like well should should you save somebody under those conditions like that's a good question that's and all of this is also kind of ignoring the fact that his his show was a show that people went to willingly yeah like yeah. the 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 movie depicts him as straight out bad right like he's he's running a circus he tricks the kids into making a contract he um, scares people the his performers are unhappy and tormented and things like that but he he is providing a service and like like we discussed earlier people like going into haunted houses people like watching scary movies there's you know there's there's very far extremes of in what ways people like being scared and some people it's small some people it's huge um so in and of itself, like, honestly, if he found a timeline where he can scare people and they enjoy it, then like, that's kind of an ideal situation that the movie does not acknowledge could be a good thing. It's just like, nope, this is, this is weird and wrong and bad. Don't do this. And it's like, okay. So within this movie's reality, the idea that, well, he just wants to keep scaring people. It's like, then that's bad and he shouldn't be allowed to do that. But um, in a more yeah. complex reality then it's like well okay let's see if yeah maybe we can save you and put you with hell let's take you to jurassic park maybe you can help them (laughs) amp up the fear factor a little bit right like (laughs) maybe he could actually have found a a career that did this in a in a safer better way but um, yeah but i guess i guess his fatal flaw is tricking children into indentured servitude (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah that's a 
that's a hard one to spin. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said, I'd, I'd, I'd need to watch this movie again and I would watch this movie and it was very, very, very good. I was really yeah. delighted with it. And, and to be fair, when the kid showed up and said, we want to join your circus, he said, you've got the wrong circus. Yeah. This is, this is not for you. This is not like, you don't want anything to do with this. Um, now, granted, he didn't stick to his guns very long, and I forget why he ended up changing his mind. I forget how that all played out exactly, but he he actually did tell them, like, you know, granted, he didn't tell me he was going to turn them into monkeys, but... Um, yeah, but, you know, those are details. You know. It's show business, baby. Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, with kids, 80% of the time you say you don't want this, it's it's going to make them want it more, and I feel like he, he may have known that, but... That's, um, yeah. Hashtag justice for uh, Professor Screw Eyes. <laughs> Did you catch the name of his circus? Um, I, I think they only say it once, but it's such a good name. I no, I didn't catch it. Hell's a poppin. It's H E L L Z A P O P P I N. Hell's a poppin. <laughs> that is a good name, <laughs> right? It's fun to say. Like I, I, I don't know why they didn't say it more. It's so, it's such a great name for that fright circus. Yeah, the, I mean, probably because, you know, saying the word hell in a kid's movie is inappropriate. So it's like, okay, we yeah. can get away with this like once because it's spelled wrong and you say it this way. But like to to emphasize it too much, they may have gotten may have gotten in trouble with uh, certain like ratings or criteria as far as that's concerned. That's but it, true. Yeah, that is a good name. I think I think that the I think my question about Dr. New Eyes being God and like Professor Screw Eyes, of course, being the like the 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 contrast being, you know, he's his his realm is hell's a poppin. Um, yeah, <laughs> that I think that it's I do think that like it's a subtle uh, message in the movie, maybe not message, but it's a subtle like detail about the movie that is well, maybe it's not subtle either, but it's yeah. not. um like I'm glad I asked that question and because I because I like what you said about like he's it's more it's technology he's not necessarily God but I do think from the writer's perspective like he was probably supposed to represent this this the idea of God yeah I can I can see that especially when talking about Professor Screwy's final scene um it it feels more like that to me where when just thinking about the initial like giving intelligence to the dinosaurs it's like yeah there's some parallels there but it's also a plot hook you know and it's like sometimes when is the difference between intent and um you know just there's certain themes that tend to come up and the idea of making dinosaurs smart doesn't necessarily imply deity levels mm-hmm. um but yeah when you look at other moments and also Professor New Eyes, despite being the entire reason the movie can happen, is not a main character. You know, he's in for five minutes in the beginning, five minutes towards the end, and that's it. Um, Which you could also make an argument there for God, depending on your specific beliefs or takes, you know, a lot of people. The invisible hand. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The the one that kind of sets everything in motion, but then it's going to play out as it sees that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts or comments on the musical number in this movie? It good. It good. 
<laughs> it could. Yeah, it's um, fun. Yeah, I th- I think it's really fun. I think it's it's just enjoyable. Um, and I do I appreciate when musical numbers make sense within a movie. Um, mm-hmm. Now, granted, it's always weird when like music just starts playing out of nowhere or something like that. But this was a situation where Rex was performing for those people. Yes, it it wasn't something going on inside of his head. It wasn't you know, a choreographed number with 800 background dancers that all magically knew the same thing. He got swept up in the moment and started improving. When he starts, the other dinosaurs give him this look like, Rex, we didn't, we didn't practice this choreography. What are you doing? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, it's that. And it's the, you're going to blow our cover. What are you doing? We were told mm-hmm. that we were told to be balloons or be animatronics. Um, yeah, so I, I first of all love that it's just a completely canon number um, and that, you know, the audience and everything is into it. And then kind of slowly the audience is like, wait a second, <laughs> like this is, we don't, we don't have this technology. This has to be real. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, that was super cool. And yeah, I think it's, it's fun. It's catchy. It sticks in your head. Um, I, I think it's a good, good song. It good. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun. I think. I think it's um, it, at least in the end credits version, it's sung. I think by Little Richard. Uh, so I think he might be the, like, the original artist on it. It's yeah. I, I I really liked it. Okay, Joanne, do you have any more thoughts or comments about this movie before we move on to my bonus questions? So, what do I even say about this movie? It it is a really good movie. I think the one other kind of like philosophical or interesting thing that the movie does is um professor new eyes brings the dinosaurs to life because it is the most frequent wish of children to like Mm. see dinosaurs to have dinosaurs be real and professor screw eyes wants them in a circus because monsters are the greatest irrational fear of children it's it's the thing that terrifies people the most that we're most afraid of and I think there is something very interesting about sometimes the things that we desire are also the things that scare us or the things that, you know, can you you look at like technology, right? And technology has the power to save us and heal us and give us so much information, but it also has the power to distract us and take away from meaningful relationships and things like that. And it, it's something interesting for a movie that is close to 30 years old to explore this idea of sometimes the thing that you want is also the thing that you need to be cautious of and both the friendly nature of something and the negative nature of something can exist in the same place. So I I just think that was kind of like a really cool thing that this movie like did without even drawing a huge amount of attention to it. It's just kind of there for the watcher to know. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. All right, Joanne. This is a section of the podcast that we call What's Yo Snack? Joanne, what's your snack? Um, When you go to a movie theater, do you have a favorite movie theater snack? And uh, since we've, most of us have been um, watching movies in our homes for the past year and a half, do you, do you like, do you like to recreate your movie snack at home or do you have a different home movie snack? So, um, Sour Patch Kids, hands Hell down, yeah. 
is when I go to the movie theater, I usually get Sour Patch Kids and whatever white soda Sprite Seven Up. I'm not I'm not brand dealed by anybody. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's my default. I do enjoy popcorn, right? It's a classic. You can't you can't argue with popcorn. But um, if I'm gonna get something just for me, I get the Sour Patch Kids. Um. I don't Excellent. really know why. Like, I think part of it. So I'm I'm weird <laughs> um and I actually like to suck on Sour Patch Kids because I like getting all of the sour part off and then you just have like the sweet gummy left that's not so weird I think at all that it's a... I do the same oh thank you yep <laughs> um so I think it's just kind of nice because it's a snack that I t- can eat slowly um as opposed to like if I get like snow caps which I love they're just eaten by the handful and then gone mm. um and then, yeah, when I watch movies at home, I'm much more whatever's around. I don't usually go out and buy something specific for the movie. I just, you know, if I have popcorn in the cupboard, I'll make that. If I can make myself a sandwich, like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever's, whatever's there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, my second bonus question. If we were to replace any two characters in We're Back, A Dinosaur's Story with... Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito. Who would you replace and how would it improve the movie? Hmm. This is a hard question. My goodness. So, I mean, really our character choices are we've got the four, the four dinosaurs, the two kids, the two professors and the museum curator. Mm Hmm. Um, and I can't just add in a new dinosaur, right? Like, you know I can't what? Just have... You can. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to allow it. Oh, okay. Sorry. My alarm just went off. Hopefully you can edit that out. If not, Hey listeners, that was my alarm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So then in that case, I would definitely just add new dinosaurs. Um, I would give Danny Levito the Ankylosaurus. Because Mm. it just needs to be in the movie. And I think he would do a good job. And I can just, I can just picture an Ankylosaurus with that voice. Mm -hmm. Um, Whoopi Goldberg. I always love when she does like her squeaks. Like I I always think of um, Cinderella when she was the queen. And like, she just has like her little like squeaky noises. Okay. Um, So I don't know what dinosaur that would be like ideal for but I kind of would just want like a dinosaur that doesn't actually talk. It's more like, um, like sound effects and like, just like really good, like facial reactions and things like that. And then like, maybe at the end it has like a really good, like one liner where everybody's like, Oh, you were cool this whole time. Oh Um, yeah. I like that. So who would she, I'm trying to think of my dinosaurs now and I'm like sadly drawing up a lot of blanks. Well, there's no, there's no sauropod in this movie. There's no like brontosaurus or anything like that. So maybe she yeah. could sort of fill in. That, that would gap. be great. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah. Nice. Two extra dinosaurs. Um, final answer. I like it. Um, I, whenever, whenever I think of this question, I usually, I typically go with Whoopi Goldberg um, to be like the main villain in the movie and I, th- I think that is largely because of her being one of the hyenas in the, in the Lion King. <laughs> but um, I didn't know she was one of the hyenas in the Lion King. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. How did I not know that? 
I, man, I wish I could tell you the name of that lion, but, um, actually let me, let me fact check myself on that real quick. Cause I don't want listeners to be screaming at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. One of them was Cheech Marin and sh- is it Shenzi? Yeah. So Whoopi Goldberg is Shenzi. And then the other two are Ed and something else. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's Jim Cummings who does like every voice. He does like Tigger and, and Darkwing Duck. Um, and then Cheech Marin. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, Good to know. So I would definitely, um, Bonsai is Cheech Marin's hyena. Sorry. <laughs> but I would definitely cast Willie Goldberg as Professor Screw Eyes. Um, I just think that would be a lot of fun. And Danny DeVito, I really like your answer of like adding an ankylosaurus character and having him be that. Um, But I don't know. I could see him either as the museum curator um, or I, I don't know. I I could see him as Rex also. I actually like it's, it's hard because the voice acting is so perfect in this. Like John Goodman is so perfect for Rex. Uh, Mm -hmm. That I don't know if I, I, so this is a hypothetical world where these actors can't actually replace them. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to go with that as my final answer. Um, Danny DeVito as Rex and Whoopi Goldberg as Professor Screw Eyes. All right, fair. Good answer, good answer. But I, but I think your answer is better. I like yours a lot more because it doesn't. we don't have to replace anybody. Yeah, and we get more dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it, it sounds like you have a high opinion of dinosaurs. And I always like to ask, uh, does, does this movie, would you give them... Um, would you give it a plus one, neutral, or minus one for depiction of dinosaurs? Um, I, I kind of struggle because part of me wants to say plus one because I'm, I'm very pleased that it shows two types of dinosaurs, right? Like you get to see them as like their monster, scary, you know, tough dinosaur form, which a lot of people like, but you also get like the kids version of dinosaur where they're friendly and they're singing and they're doing cool things and they're funny. Um, so I, I like, I like it for that reason. Um, but I also do kind of prefer a more realistic dinosaur. So it's kind of hard in that direction. So I'm going to go ahead and say neutral because although I would like more realistic dinosaurs, I like that it shows both like the tough dinosaurs and the nice dinosaurs. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Um, Well, Joanne, it was wonderful having you on the show today. Thanks for being a a co-host on, uh, on robots versus dinosaurs. And can you tell the listeners where they can find you if they want to hear more? Yes, absolutely. Um, So my name is Joanne. I have a podcast called the turtle stack. You can find it anywhere you usually find your podcasts. Um, all of my socials are also the turtle stack. So you can look me up on, um, Facebook or Twitter. Awesome. And, uh, why is it called the turtle stack? That is a good question. <laughs> um, so first of all, I just wanted a name that kind of stood out a little bit. The general p- concept of my podcast is I interview people about random things that I don't know anything about. So, um, I wanted just things that make people happy that they enjoy and turtles are my favorite animals. I really love turtle stacks. I think it is a cute, adorable thing that they do. So I went with the turtle stack because that's one of the things that makes me smile. Um, 
And then I also really like that the reason turtles do stack is for warmth. So the turtle at the bottom of the stack benefits from like the pressure and the bodies of the turtles above. The turtle at the top is closer to the sun, so they get better sunbathing. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted my podcast to be. It was a thing that we're all supporting each other. We're all benefiting. It's a happy, friendly environment that you can come to and just listen to other people uh, get to talk about their passions, which hopefully brightens your day a little bit to hear. That is awesome. That's kind of, you kind of just casually mentioned that, but it's blowing my mind. Turtles stack on top of each other, like just naturally? Yes. Yeah, it is a thing that they do naturally. Um, so if you like go to a lake, you will you will somewhat frequently see turtles stacked like two or three. Um, and in some areas you'll see them stacked even higher than that. Oh, that is so cool. I'm so glad I asked that. I'm looking up photos of it now and it, it, it is adorable. It is absolutely adorable. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. If you can look at a turtle stack and not smile, you're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, yeah, listeners, definitely subscribe to the turtle stack on all your podcast apps and um, check out Joanne's social media to get more more info on that. Uh, so thank you again for being such a great co-host. It was it was this was one of one of my favorite movies that we've reviewed on this show. It was really delightful. Like I said, I regret that I didn't. I haven't seen this more times and that I don't have childhood memories of watching it, but I'm definitely going to watch it more. Um, I'm definitely going to be that annoying uncle that makes my nieces and nephews watch it with me. Um, but thank, thanks again, Joanne. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed my time. Awesome. Likewise. My gut says the donkey is scarier. This is why it's crazy to me that he craves hot dogs because he's an herbivore. It good. Are you an admirer of art? Do you want to know the creators of the art you love today? Then you should listen to the Postmodern Art Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to giving artists who are buying the world over the platform they deserve. Sit down with your favorite artists as they discuss their passion. I couldn't have lived without art, I don't think. It's like my whole life. Hardships. My payment before was like around $50 a week. What? Heartfelt moments. I recently actually got a message about some of my drawings and somebody saying, oh, my kid really, really appreciated those. And they've been drawing ever since she started doing those things. And that, that, that makes me feel really good. And some fun in between. You gotta make me tear up already. Good uh. cry. <laughs> <laughs> the Postmodern Art Podcast. New episodes every Thursday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most podcast platforms.